to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Last night we looked at the wonderful Psalm 96, which says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. There are so many interesting things we could explore in this important psalm. For instance, it's often said that the Old Testament has no interest in seeing Gentiles or non-Jews join God's people. That idea, some say, developed only in the New Testament. But Psalm 96, among others, shows that this is not quite true. Several Old Testament texts were very keen to invite the nations to know and worship the one true Lord. But let me return to the main question. Why were God's people to declare his praises within earshot of the Gentiles? What is the logic behind the call of Psalm 96 to promote God's glory and salvation to an unbelieving world? Well, verses 4 and 5 provide the all-important answer. It says, For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The splendor and majesty of the Lord must be promoted throughout the nations for the simple reason that there is no other lord of the nations, no other creator of the universe. All of the so-called gods are idols. The Hebrew word for idols is elilim, which basically means nothingness, worthlessness. The Bible doesn't so much denigrate pagan gods. It insists they're non-existent. Here we arrive at the fundamental equation of mission. The driving force behind all of our efforts to bring the news of the one true Lord to our friends and neighbours. If there is one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance, the people of the Lord must promote this reality everywhere. Monotheism, belief in one God, and mission are intimately related. The existence of just one God makes our mission to the many absolutely essential. This is not to say that there aren't other reasons for promoting the gospel as well. There are. For instance, the fact that our friends and neighbours need salvation from the coming judgment provides a very real motivation to promote the news of a saviour. In fact, the final paragraphs of Psalm 96 remind us of this theme. It says, The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity, and so on. Having said this, although the coming judgment is part of the message proclaimed here to the nations, as it is in our gospel, it's not actually the reason for proclaiming the message. The reason for this worldwide promotion of God's glory and salvation is stated very clearly in verses 4 and 5, which I read before. It says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The fundamental reason for spreading the news of God to the world is that he is the only one worthy of praise, the only God deserving of allegiance among all people. He is the one for the many. And not surprisingly, the logic is exactly the same in the New Testament. 
When Jesus sends out his apostles to make disciples of all nations, the single reason offered for this mission is the universal lordship of God, or more accurately, the lordship which God now exercises through Jesus the Messiah. Here is the most famous mission passage of all, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's great debate about how much of this Great Commission applies directly to individual Christians today. Are we all to teach? Are we all to baptize? My own view, for what it's worth, is that while the specifics refer directly to the 11 disciples and those entrusted with the apostolic mission afterwards, teachers and evangelists, the broad thrust of the Lord's command applies to everyone who knows him. We might not all go, teach and baptize, but we all promote the gospel through our prayers, good works, public praise, financial support of gospel workers and daily conversations. And so we all contribute to making disciples of all nations. We all share in the aptly called Great Commission. My main point, though, is thoroughly uncontroversial. The reason for getting involved in this mission is made perfectly clear by the Lord's all-important therefore. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore go and make disciples. The one true God has given all authority to the one true Lord Jesus. And for this reason, we are to make disciples throughout the world. At the risk of sounding like a scratched CD, let me repeat the mission equation. If there is one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance, the people of the Lord must promote this reality everywhere. We promote God's glory to the ends of the earth, not principally because of any human need, but fundamentally because of God's, of Christ's unique worthiness as the Lord of heaven and earth. Promoting the gospel to the world is more than a rescue mission, though it is certainly that as well. It is a reality mission. It is our plea to all the world to acknowledge that they belong to one Lord who possesses heaven and earth. Why promote Christ to your atheist friend with the nice car and the self-confidence to match? Well, not simply because he would be happier or more fulfilled with Jesus, but because in reality your friend belongs to the one true Lord. Why take the gospel to cynical retirees with a lifetime of worldly experience and a fat nest egg to enjoy? Not simply because they will soon face eternity but because right now they exist for the pleasure of the one true God. Why reach out to the super student with the first class honours degree and a wardrobe of designer clothes? Not simply because Christianity will make her more moral or productive in life, 
but because in reality she is the possession of her one and only king. Why send out and support missionaries to Mongolia or Burkina Faso? Not only because Asians and Africans need rescuing from God's judgment, as we all do, but because they too are creatures of the one creator and he alone deserves their worship. The people of the world do of course have all sorts of needs of their creator. It'd be strange if it were otherwise. But more fundamental than their felt need of God is the reality of their duty toward him to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, as Psalm 96 puts it. This, above everything else, necessitates our mission to the world. The next time you're in a cafe and someone protests, so you want to convert the world, do you? How dare you? Don't be dumbfounded, as I was when that happened to me. Don't begin to question the rationale or beauty of God's mission. Just remind yourself of the mission equation, crystallised in the Great Commission and sung about in Psalm 96. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.